0: It's an odd feeling having the burden of justice hanging over you. You know, when you do something, you know you shouldn't. And you're not quite sure if you're going to get found out. When I was younger, I used to eat my sister's Easter eggs every year. In my, in my mind, I, I told myself it was fair because within a week, I'd demolished mine. And she used to hold on and hold on for as long as possible. Now, in that time leading up to Christmas, I'd just go in, break a little bit off. Now, I'd hope that I could get away with it. But the reality was, as quickly as I ate up the Easter eggs, the burden, the guilt inside me would eat me up too. When we were in the lounge and the Easter eggs were all set up nicely, saw my sister walk towards them, check them as she did. In me there was that feeling of, "Am I going to get shown to be the one I am, the Easter egg eater? Am I going to get found out?" And it, it was a crushing feeling. Am I going to be shown to be the one I am? That's a trivial thing, but it works the same for many things. Whether it be something small like stealing someone's food from the work fridge or getting a bit too much change back from the cashier and not saying anything, seeing the flash of a speed camera and waiting for that letter through the posts. It's a crushing feeling. Or maybe it's something bigger. A past relationship that you know was wrong. Manipulating your finances in a way that you know you shouldn't or even running from some sort of prosecution. See, at first, it's a bit of a relief. It's a smug feeling inside. Ah, I'm not going to get found out. But soon enough, and deep down, it crushes. It crushes. And deep down you think, and you feel, I hope it never comes to light. I hope no one will really see just what I'm like. I hope no one sees how nasty and awful and guilty I am as a person. This afternoon, we're going to see a promise that a servant will come and suffer in the place of guilty people like you and me. We're going to see how all those hidden Feelings that are waiting to be uncovered, those things that you and I might feel guilty about, it's promised that they will be dealt with brutally and unfairly. Now, we're looking at the book of Isaiah. Isaiah lived in Jerusalem in the, the latter part of Israel's kingdom period. Remember, last week we looked at 2 Samuel 7 and God's new king what looks like the high point of Israel's history last week quickly wasn't so perfect in fact the kingdom became divided the 12 tribes split the kingdom is divided into two Israel in the north and Judah in the south and both have a succession of bad kings Isaiah, the prophet, speaks a message of judgment from God to Jerusalem and Judah's corrupt leaders who had rebelled against God. But in amongst the judgment, there's also hope that God will keep his promise that he made last week to to, um, David, that from his line will come someone who will rescue so Isaiah foretells the destruction of the Jerusalem of Jerusalem, which happens about a hundred years after the passage that we see this afternoon. But the hope is that actually out of the destruction will come a rescuer. God's people, Israel, they find themselves in need again, but they're desperate for this message of hope. That's where we're at. Desperate for someone. To come and deal with the issue. Every now and again, I'm out and around in Bicester early in the morning, pretty early. And between 5.30 and 7, I see this man. Whether I'm driving or running, I see him again and again. I guess he's probably in his 60s and he runs most days. Rain or shine, he seems to be out in his vests. I've spoken to a few of you and I know that some people have seen him too. I don't know his name or anything about him. I've never seen him any other time except in his vest, running along Launton Road, sometimes along the Ring Road, and he runs. But what he does is he carries a big sack. I'm seeing a few smiles and a few nods because you've seen him too. And I wonder what you think as you see him. Running along with his big sack, he picks up litter. Before the town's awake, he goes around and he picks up litter. I wonder what you think when you see him. I'd guess probably the same as me. What a hero. He goes out and cares for our town when no one's watching, he serves when no one's watching. He's desperate to make our town a better place. But at the same time, deep down, as I see him there with his bag, early in the morning, something deep inside me thinks, what a loser. Deep down within me. Why? Because he's fighting a losing battle. He's committed all the time to fighting a battle that he's on the losing side. And that's something of what our culture, our society sees of servants, isn't it? Almost pitiful. On the one hand, we go, what a hero. But at the same time, isn't he a bit of a loser? It's a curious thing to do. This man that runs every morning, I'd love to speak to him. I'd love to ask him Why? <coughs> But this afternoon, as we come to Isaiah 53, we come to God's ultimate solution for all time. And I wonder, as it was read, what you thought. A bit of a curious solution, isn't it? Hang on, isn't this guy a bit of a loser? God has an unlikely solution. See, in the midst of the coming judgment, God's promise is that this man will come. Have a look at uh, verse 13 of chapter 52. See, my servant will act wisely. God's servant is to the rescue. This is God's solution and it's coming in the form of a servant. Earlier in the book, um, it talks of how Israel would be chopped down like a tree. It will be dealt with severely. But look at verse 2 of chapter 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. This is God's ultimate solution, and it's gonna come from a chopped down tree. It's curious, it's hard to recognize, but it's God's solution. Later on, it says there's no beauty or no majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by mankind this is God's solution a servant who looks like a loser that's the way we view servants in our culture isn't it like that guy that we've seen running round the ring road What a hero. And yet something in us somewhere says, well, he's a bit of a loser. He's not on the winning side, is he? Well, what about this man, this suffering servant, the unlikely solution of God? Look down at the picture that's painted. 53 verse 3. He was rejected and despised by men. He came to serve people that wanted nothing to do with him. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He served an ultimate cause and didn't complain. Look at verse 9. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth... He served a sentence that he didn't deserve. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. This servant served God's will. In order to be this solution, he went out of his way to serve, 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 serve. A cause, a people, God's will. And he suffered for it. It's absolutely remarkable that as you read through the chapter, the horrible, brutal picture of suffering is God's ultimate solution. It's a servant that suffered for a cause. But what's even more remarkable is that the solution to the problem is God's own son. In the New Testament, this passage is opened. In Acts 8, verse 34, this is what it says. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, this, and told him the good news about Jesus. It's odd, isn't it? This good news about Jesus? See, this suffering servant is good news about Jesus because it's God's ultimate solution God's ultimate solution to send a servant who looks like a loser now this is written 700 years before Jesus arrived roughly I don't know if you notice some of the details in what it says look at verse 5 he was pierced This is what John 19, verse 34, one of the accounts of what happened to Jesus says. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus with a spear. Verse 7, as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That's what the servant is going to do 700 years later. This is what Matthew 26 says. Do you make no answer? What is this that these men are testifying against you? And Jesus was... Silent. Verse 9, have a look down. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Matthew 27 says, Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. It is absolutely remarkable that 700 years before Jesus arrived, the suffering servant was described in all its detail. In fact, I um, looked up on the internet this week. I tried to find a few kind of activities of um, finding the links. And I found the most epic children's worksheet. It was impossible. In fact, it was um, all of the references from Isaiah 53 with blanked out bits. And then you've got to find out where in the New Testament they come for children under 12. It was unbelievable. But there was 30 plus 30 plus references that specifically link this prophecy 700 years before Jesus came to exact details recorded in the New Testament, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. God's ultimate solution, promise, he looks like a loser. The question is, have you recognised him? Have you fully accepted God's unlikely solution? Do you continue to accept God's unlikely solution? God's solution to the guilt that weighs us down. This passage says that we don't need to feel the pain and suffering, verse 4, that we're feeling. You don't need to feel the shame that grips you. You don't need to be weighed down by your burdens because God has an unlikely solution. The servant that suffers for you. Why is it that this servant suffers? Well, 10 times it tells us in this passage. Jesus died for a reason. Follow with me. I'm going to cruise through. Verse 4. Our griefs he bore. Our sorrows he carried. Verse 5. He was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well being fell on Him. By His surging we are healed. Verse 6 The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7 He was stricken for their transgression. Verse 11 He will bear their iniquity. Verse 12, he bore their sin. Do you see? Jesus died for sin. Not his own sin, but the sin of others. It's a simple swap. Him for me. Him for me. He died because of our sin, not his own all along the way in our tour of one book one story we've seen this consistently blood must be shed in order for rescue to be completed I don't know if you picked up as it was read through the language that you might recognize from Leviticus 16 a couple of weeks ago do you remember as we looked at the tabernacle and the specific rituals that had to happen for God's people to have their God dwell with them in a tent 52 verse 15 he will sprinkle many nations 53 verse 6 laid on him the iniquity of us all verse 10 a guilt offering verse 12 he made intercession see it's picking up on the exact same thing in fact it's similar to before but better than ever it's always been a sacrifice of blood. First, it was one for one, Isaac for the lamb. Then it was one for a family, the blood on the lintel of the, of the doorpost. Then it was one for a people, once a year at the tabernacle. And now, finally, as 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And that's what it is, that all. It's once for all time. It's not just one for one, once a year. It's not just one for a family here and there. It's once for all time for those that would trust in Jesus and would accept his sacrifice. See, God's servant suffered in our place. It was our sin that was laid upon Jesus. The words that you might hear talked about when describing this is penal substitution. He takes the penalty instead of us. That's the work of the suffering servant. It's sin bearing. The servant takes the penalty instead of us. And Jesus chose willingly to go to the cross to suffer all that we read because he knew that it was the ultimate solution. It was the ultimate solution to the people in Isaiah's day who were living as unfaithful people against God. And it's a solution for you and I that struggle with the results of rebellion against God too. And so if we trust this substitute, him for me, we won't experience what we deserve. Look at verse five. It's peace, not punishment. See, the solution to the feelings of guilt that we talked about before, those things that you've not yet paid the price for, those things that at any moment could come through the post, the things that haunt your past, the things that you're ashamed of, the things that you're desperate will never come out, the underlying fear that one day you will stand before God and he'll know everything about you, those fears What's the ultimate solution? God laid on him the iniquity of our souls. Jesus takes away. He takes my place. Him for me. So today on Remembrance Sunday, as we remember the people that gave their lives in our place, in sacrifice for the freedom of our country, The reality is that the two world wars are laced with stories of hundreds of people who sacrificed their lives. The very essence of what we remember is that people that were no more deserving than you or I had the courage to sacrifice their own lives for the good of their country. you know the first ever two-minute silence in Britain was held on the 11th of November 1919 and King George V asked the public to observe the silence at 11am. This was the reason he said the silence should take place. So that the thoughts of everyone may be concentrated on reverent remembrance of the glorious dead. So that the thoughts of everyone may be concentrated on reverent remembrance of the glorious dead. That's why there's a minute's silence tomorrow or two. To remember that soldiers made a remarkable sacrifice for their country. But you see, it's fitting that this afternoon we look at the suffering, suffering servant who gave his life for his people. It's not just no more deserving than you or I. No, he was perfectly righteous. And he took our place. Jesus makes the most extraordinary sacrifice the world has ever seen. It's radical. God's own innocent son is punished. And yet it's necessary. As sin must be dealt with. For rescue to be accomplished, it's a travesty. God's people will not experience the punishment they deserve. And yet, it's the most fair thing as Jesus is stricken in order that God's anger would be satisfied. It's unfair. God's people don't need to feel the guilt of crimes committed. And yet, it's the most fair thing as Jesus makes his life a guilt offering for sin it's intangible god's people don't experience the crushing feeling that shameful things will be uncovered and yet it's the most tangible thing jesus was physically crushed for the iniquities of many will you let this servant serve you will you let him deal with your sin The suffering servant serves you. Let him take your burden. And the servant conquers for you. Just have a look at verse 11 and 12. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. The suffering servant is satisfied with his work. Why? We'll look again, verse 12. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. See, the suffering servant is satisfied because he achieves exactly what he set out to achieve. The solution that looks like a loser is completely victorious. He wins. He's not held by death and his work is completely effective. You might know the words of the familiar song, Death is dead, love has won, Christ has conquered, and we shall reign with him, for he lives. Christ is risen from the dead. You know the feeling of conquering something? When you just can't hold it in? That feeling of utter relief and release? I don't like the dentist at all. The last couple of times I've been, I've been in pain afterwards and my wallet has suffered. But the last time I went to the dentist, I was sat in the room, Elise and Jacob with me, and I was getting ready to be shamed in front of my family. I sat in the chair with my mouth wide open and the dentist said to me, your teeth are good. I could not believe it. I mean, yeah, after my experience before. But you know what I did? As I left the dentist, I just couldn't help but smile. It was a victory. I'd conquered the dentist. My teeth were good. And I felt like singing down the street as I held Elise and Jacob. I was so joyous maybe it's the feeling of leaving work on a day where you just smash it and you can't and you can leave it behind and enjoy the weekend it's Friday and you've got a few days off and you leave work and you just can't help but grin and you feel like singing well what is it that the servant conquers for you it's the result of rebellion it's victory over the guilt and shame that haunt us. The thing that you're waiting to be brought to light. The thing that you're desperately covering up. The thing that you can't forgive yourself for. The thing that you can't seem to get away from. The thing that you're desperate no one will ever find out. The thing that you can't break your addiction from. Jesus is victorious. Jesus takes your burden. Him for me. Surely when we hear that we just can't help but feel like singing. And in fact, if you were to flick over to the next page, that's exactly what happens as Israel (laughs) Well, sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. They're to sing because of the joy of hope that comes through this rescue. And so if that's you this afternoon that trusts in Jesus, him for you, you can sing because he takes your burden. And if this afternoon you sit in the room and that's not you yet, please have a look. Please look at what Jesus offers because the joy of having the burden lifted, the joy of Jesus taking the weight of our guilt and shame is joyous. And so we can sing. And so we'll sing our final song. And it uses the words of this passage Man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief, the suffering servant who came to rescue his people. But see, we sing it not in mourning, we sing it in joy because of what he's achieved for us. Because this is what the chorus says Now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the sun sets free. Oh, is free indeed. That's the joy of having the burden lifted. That's the joy of trusting in the suffering servant. So let's sing together as we sing this song.